Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. How many of you have been to the happiest place on earth? Yeah, Yeah, all right. How many of you think that's Krispy Kreme? (laughs) Just checking. All right, happiest place on earth we know to be Disney. They've given themselves, of course, that moniker, Disneyland, Disney World. But that is a phrase that can be argued. It's not the happiest place on earth for everybody, is it? It depends on what you want to lean into. Because you can go into it and you can notice certain things. Right away, you notice that it's crowded. That everybody in the Western Hemisphere is in Southern California at that moment at Disney. And it can feel a little bit like being at the DMV. You're just standing and you're waiting endlessly, hoping that the end, the reward is good enough for the wait. And if you've ever figured out like the wait ride ratio, it's terrible, isn't it? You're like, I waited 10 hours in line today. I rode for eight minutes and 47 seconds. It was awesome. (laughs) And the other thing you notice when you go there is that it's a little bit expensive. Just a tad. I mean, I can remember standing there with my girls thinking, well, we could get these churros or you could go to college. And uh, we got the churros, and they're on their own for college. We're hoping for scholarships, right? It's just a little bit expensive. And then you have, you know, you can lean into that your family wants to do all of these different things and, and go in different directions. And, and uh, it's not very restful, is it? That you're just always running around. And let's not even get started on it's a small world. I know. Well, let's trap them on a boat and play the same song for eight minutes of their lives. And, They'll never forget it. It'll be awesome. You could lean into those things, right? You'd be like, happiest place on earth. Or truly, you could go and just embrace it. You could go and enjoy with childlike wonder and see things through your kid's eyes. Or you could go and know that, that the distractions of how things normally run in your lives is gone for a little bit. And even though you have to wait in line, you're waiting in line with family, and even that can be good. And you know that you're making memories that will last forever. It just kind of depends, right? And it's interesting to hear people debrief their time in Disney because some people are grieving and some people are grateful. It kind of goes on both sides. You can have the same experience and have totally different experiences, right? It depends on what your outlook is. It depends on how you are going into that experience. And life can be like that in a lot of ways, right? We can be grateful for the things that are provided or we can grieve the things that aren't provided. We, we exist simultaneously in abundance and lack. We've got abundance in some areas and lack in some areas and which one consumes us? Which one draws our attention? Which one do we lean into? Will we be a people who consistently grieve what's missing or will we be a people who show gratitude for the things that have been provided for us? We're kicking off a new series this morning and it's called Ridiculous Grace. And as the title suggests, we will be leaning into the topic of grace, God's grace in our lives. And grace is one of those things that can get overlooked, especially if you've been a part of church for a while. If you've been involved in church in a long peri- for a long period of time, you probably heard about grace early on, and every once in a while you sing about how amazing it is, but you usually take it for granted. 
And so as we begin this series, we want to refocus ourselves on what grace is, on how grace has affected us, because all of us, no matter what our life circumstances are currently, have been recipients of the grace of God. And what's our response to that? And so as we come to the next several weeks of this study, we're going to be surprised by grace and and we're going to be challenged by grace. It's going to challenge our sense of fairness, but we're going to begin this morning in a place of gratitude because I believe that understanding grace inspires gratitude. The more that we understand grace, the more that we lean into grace, the more that should rise up within us this idea of being thankful for what we've been given. And so understanding grace should inspire our gratitude. Now let's define the terms too at the outset. What is grace? Grace is the free and unearned favor of God. You cannot earn grace because to earn something is to somehow find that something's equivalent and you can't find the equivalent of what grace is. You can't earn it. To earn grace goes against the very definition of what grace is, right? It's unearned favor of God. But the Old Testament and the New Testament also paint this picture of what grace is. They have this word picture that's reaching, inclining, leaning. So you need to get this picture of that's what God does to us. I don't know what your picture of God is. Your picture might be a God who stands far off. Or your picture of God might be that he is just doing this every time he looks at you. Oh, not again. But the picture that scripture paints is a God who is leaning towards us, a God who's favorably disposed to us, a God who is ready and willing. If you get a picture of a parent who's walking alongside a young child just learning to walk, and the kid's all over the place like we usually are, but the parent is right there waiting, leaning, ready to help. That's God. That's the grace of God. We have a God that leans in on our lives to bless us, to show his kindness towards us. That's who God is. And quite honestly, it's ridiculous, right? This is what ridiculous traditionally means. Absurd, silly, unreasonable, or foolish. Where we would say, don't be ridiculous. But it's also come to mean in our current cultural context, awesome, extravagant, or excessive. Like, dude, that was a ridiculous skateboard trick when you jumped over the Grand Canyon or whatever it was that you did on your skateboard, right? That was just ridiculous. And the cool thing about grace is, is that it meets both of those definitions, even even though those definitions seem like they're at odds with each other, right? Because grace is unreasonable, and it, it can look a little bit foolish, but it is awesome, and it is extravagant, and it is excessive, and every time we bump into the grace of God, it is those things in our lives. And so we want to lean in on grace. And like I said, we're going to start in a place of gratitude. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 17. So if you want to turn there, if you want to grab a Bible out of the pew, you can. It's on page 870. If you want to uh, open the Bible app on your phone, great. Just don't spend the whole service checking scores. All right. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, it says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So let's set the scene a little bit. Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. 
Luke chapter nine says that, that he set his face like stone, that he resolutely set out to Jerusalem because there was something that he needed to do, right? He knew what was going to happen there. And so he's walking there, he's headed there, he's doing ministry all along the way. Here's just a map, give us a little perspective. He's in the north in Galilee doing ministry. He's heading to Jerusalem there in the south in Judea and he's at the border between Galilee and Samaria. And it says that, there were lepers there and the lepers were standing at a distance and they were crying out to him. Now, why were they standing at a distance? Well, because they had leprosy. They had a skin condition. Now, just a little heads up, I'll tell you what it is, but don't ever do a Google image search of leprosy. It will scar you for life. It's awful, don't go there. Leprosy currently is called Hansen's disease, and it's an infectious skin disease that causes skin lesions and causes nerve damage. So you get these things on your skin all over, and it's, it's bad, and, but you have nerve damage as well, which means like you don't have any kind of sensitivity in your arms and legs or wherever this leprosy is. Now, when it's used in scripture, the term leprosy can mean any number of skin conditions, but it kind of relates to this. Now, there was a certain stigma around leprosy. You see, if you were a leper, they thought that that was contagious. And so they wanted to be as far away from you as possible. And that's what kind of the exclusion from society was. You need to go and find your own place to be. You can't be near us because we don't want to get what you have. But there was also another stigma because it was viewed as God's displeasure. That somehow it was viewed that those people had done something to offend God and thereby God gave them leprosy. Like they had done something wrong and they were getting what they deserved. And so those people were outcast in that way as well. And you can see this line of thinking in John chapter nine. The disciples see this man, it says he was born blind. And the disciples ask this question, who sinned, his parents or him? And you're like, him? He was born blind. Like, what was he doing in the womb that was so bad that, like, he came out and he was blind? But this line of thinking that, that prevailed at the time was, well, obviously you did something wrong and you sinned. And because they had this stigma on them, both this contagion and this displeasure, they were excluded from society. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in Leviticus chapter 13. As long as they had leprosy, they weren't allowed to re-enter community. And maybe the verse you're familiar with is, is uh, Leviticus 13, 45. It says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. I don't know what to do with that. Just, you gotta have messy hair. And they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As if that doesn't set you apart, right? Lepers lived outside of society. Lepers were reminded every day they didn't belong. Lepers were reminded every day they didn't fit in. It was a long-term, isolated death sentence. And so they cried out to Jesus from a distance, Jesus, have mercy on us. Verse 14, he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. That's kind of cool. Now, it's an interesting miracle of Jesus, right? Because the lepers are calling to Jesus from a distance. He doesn't lay hands on them. He doesn't make any pronouncement over them. He doesn't spit in the dirt and make mud like he did another time in scripture. It was a super cool miracle. He like shouts, go show yourselves to the priest. And they're like, what, did he say something about a feast? Because I'm not exactly, but he's like, there's this distance here. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, 
That was biblical as well, right? Go show yourself to the priest is from Leviticus 13. You see, the priest examined those with skin diseases. That was part of their job. And they had the ability to pronounce someone clean or unclean. They also were the ones that performed the ceremony that allowed people to re-enter community. If there was a healing that took place, if the leprosy went away, they had to go to the priest and they had have priests sign off that they had no more leprosy and they could re-enter community. The priests were in charge of infectious skin diseases. Now, side note, I'm glad that certain roles of the clergy have gone away. <laughs> I just, infectious skin disease is not my wheelhouse. I never took that class in college. It sounds like something horrible that would have pushed me away from being a pastor. But I will say this this morning. If you have questions about infectious skin disease, you can email me at sfowler <laughs> at salemlines.org. Um, actually, please do. Someone in this room has to do that because I want to have that conversation sometime this week. He's not here today and he needs to hear those questions. So to get back into society, you had to go to the priest. You had to get a clean bill of health from the priest. And so Jesus said, go to the priest. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we can throw that map back up there. He's on the border of Galilee, Samaria. The temple's in Jerusalem. That's like a two or three day walk from there. Was Jesus really saying, I want you to walk to Jerusalem? And think about what that meant for all 10 of these men. It meant this act of faith, right? It meant them saying, I see no evidence of it right now, but I am convinced in the one who said to do it. And so I'm going to begin, I'm going to take these steps of faith. Even though I can't see it, I'm going to walk. And Luke's gospel says, as they went, they were healed. And it doesn't really say how. I'm so curious as to how this played out. Was it like every step they took towards the temple, a little bit of it went away? Or did they wake up the next morning and they're like, you look great this morning. No, you look great. Skin is so clear. I don't know how that worked. But however it worked, it worked. And they were healed of this skin disease. They were healed of all of the things that went along with it. It was amazing. Verses 15 and 16, it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. One came back. One came back and thanked the one that enabled him to be able to move forward in his life. And that one that came back was a Samaritan, which seems to indicate that the rest were Jews. The Samaritan would have been the outcast. The Jews would have thought they were on the inside. But the only one that came back was the outcast. See, what this story just did was it added another layer of cultural tension. The first layer of cultural tension is that they were lepers. And because they were lepers, that means that they were culturally isolated. You add Samaritan to the mix, that's culturally despised. Isolated and despised. And they would have thought that these people were beyond the reach of God. You see, a while before this story happened, the the nation of Assyria invaded kind of northern Israel the northern kingdom of Israel. And they, you know, they invaded and they took over and they moved into the land and they began to intermarry among the people. Now, when they began to intermarry, these Assyrians, a pure Jew 
thought that that was just an atrocity, that that was horrible, that all of a sudden when the intermarrying happened, they became like half-breeds, they became less than people. And a pure Jew would want nothing to do with a Samaritan, so much so that they wouldn't even want to walk through Samaria, they would walk around. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote at one point, the Samaritans desecrated the temple by scattering bones in it. And so what arose from that is a time during the temple service where they publicly cursed the Samaritans. Can you imagine having a time in service that you publicly cursed a people group? It was like, hey, hey, before you sit down, shake hands with some people, get to know somebody new. All right, now we're going to publicly curse everybody from Kaiser. <laughs> and uh, that would never happen. I'm from Kaiser. We're not going there. It would be West Salem. No, I'm just kidding. It would not be... <laughs> We wouldn't do that. But, but I mean, it, it was deep. It was so deep that they offered a prayer to God asking God to not include Samaritans in eternal life. God, we don't like those people. And so there was this cultural tension there, but Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus didn't say, I will heal nine out of 10 of you. Jesus saw him as an outsider and included him as an insider and he's the one that truly responded and as we'll read, he's the one that truly received the greater gift because as you look at verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Which is interesting, right? Because wasn't he already healed? Now, what it really means is, literally it means your faith has saved you. You see, he was the only one that this happened to. All 10 of them received healing. Only one of them received wholeness. All 10 of these men received physical healing. Only one of them received Wholeness received salvation, entered into relationship. Luke's gospel calls for response continually all the time, and this is what that response is. This man's gratitude led to his salvation. His gratitude led to his salvation. He's the one who came back to thank the Savior for the grace that he received and it led to something so much more than what he had received initially. What was the bigger gift, right? And as we read this, we, we celebrate with the Samaritan and we're disappointed in the other nine, right? Well, we know, come on, guys, you're better than that. Come back and thank Jesus, would you? And then you can go off. We know that there's something wrong with ingratitude. We know that there's something wrong when people don't express gratitude for something they've been given. That's why as parents, we teach that to our children. We always are reminding our children. If our kid gets a gift, we stand behind them and we, we go, what do you say? What do you say? You know, the kid gets something and they're walking off and you're like dragging them back and putting them right in front of that person and they're all embarrassed and we're like, what do you say? Because we're trying to teach them gratitude, that gratitude is important for the way that we live. And so I humbly stand before you this morning and say, what do you say? <laughs> what do we say? Because we still need that reminder, right? We still need that reminder to be grateful for the grace that we have received. Because in so many ways, we're like the lepers. You see, before Jesus, sick, isolated, a long-term death sentence, 
desperately needing healing, desperately needing wholeness in our lives. And we read in scripture that while we were sinners, Christ gave his life for us. Ephesians 2 said it's, it's by grace that we can be saved. We don't have to earn it. There's nothing we can do because we have a God who's leaning and offering this to us. He's offering us restoration. He's offering us relationship. He's offering us eternal life. He's saying, you can be whole in me. And what do we say to that? Are we a people expressing gratitude for the grace that we've been given? Or are we just grieving the lack of other things in our lives? Because there's things that keep us from being a grateful people, right? There's things that keep us from gratitude. I would say the first of these is discontentment. This idea that we don't have enough. We live in a culture that tells us that you gotta get the next thing, you gotta go the next rung on the ladder, that there's one more that you need to have. Whatever that one more is, whether it's a job or a promotion or a house, a car, a toy, a relationship, a trophy, and we have this idea, if I get that, then I'll be set. Then I'll be happy. A reporter asked Rockefeller one time, how much money is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. Isn't that... True though, what would our response be? How much is enough money? Well, just a little bit more. We live with a sense of entitlement. We think, well, I've worked. I work hard, so I should have. Or maybe we think, I was born in America, the land of plenty. I should have a piece of that plenty. Or one nation under God, and so God, then you should bless me with this kind of stuff. And we see all the time the 0.00001% of the population that lives at a very high standard. And we think, oh, I should be able to achieve that standard as well. And that's why our Thanksgiving is followed by Black Friday. <laughs> God, thanks. Yeah, thanks for everything. But tomorrow I'm going I'm to get some more. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And we know that. Somewhere inside of us we know it. Somewhere we know that the pursuit of stuff is endless. Somewhere we know that, you know, when you get that, it doesn't really satisfy. So you need the next thing. You need the, you need the iPhone 10. You know, you got to have that until the 11 comes out. And then, but whatever it is, you know, there's always more. There's always more. There's always more. And we know it doesn't satisfy, but it doesn't keep us from trying, does it? And our discontentment robs us of the gratitude that we should have. The gratitude for what we've been given, the grace. I think our pride robs us of gratitude as well. This idea that well, we don't owe anybody anything because everything I have, I've earned. I've worked hard for this stuff. I don't owe anybody anything. People bristle at gratitude because gratitude in, in some sense gives credit to someone else for a personal benefit. It's a recognition of dependence. Gratitude stirs up feelings of indebtedness and obligation, and we don't like those feelings. I'm not indebted to anybody. I work hard for this. To, to be truly grateful is to be humble, is to admit that you can't. And so that rubs against who we are sometimes. This past summer, I had the opportunity to go to Peru with a small group of high school students. We went to a city called Trujillo and worked with some ministries there. And one afternoon, we went out to the edge of the city. At the edge of the city, there's a prison. And they, they told us, you know, we put the prison here because it's, we want those people 
out there at the edge of the city. But beyond the edge of the city is the city dump, the garbage dump. And we were going out there to do some ministry because people spent their lives there, working and living at the garbage dump. And here's a picture of the outside, and this is before we went in, and that's not just like a beautiful morning with mist, that's burning trash, which means there was this incredible smell that was coming. And um, we were going there, we were going to pass out fruit and gloves and, and hygiene kits and to pray with these people and encourage these people who spent their lives here at the city dump. And here's some pictures as we walked in. And uh, those are not birds, they're flies at the top there. And you just can't imagine. I, I, there's just not words I can't share with you. The, the smell was overwhelming. The flies were all over us. The ground was squishy. At one point, one of our leaders started sinking into it. Um, the trash burning was just kind of suffocating. But as I was walking through there, honestly, it was, it was a punch in my gut, as it should have been. It was a punch in my gut because, because I'm oftentimes living with a feeling of entitlement, like, oh man, I need more, I need more, and I'm seeing how these people live. Or, oh, my pride has really helped me get to where I am, you know, my hard work and, and what I do, and, and the difference between me and them was they were born there and I was born here, that's it. And I got to travel with my oldest daughter, which was fantastic, and I did tell her, well, this ruins you asking for anything from me for the rest of your life. <laughs> because remember where we served? But this idea that gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement and my sense of pride goes away, that we have been blessed with so much. We have so much to be thankful for, and not just physically, but spiritually as well. And yet so often I'm so caught up in, in what I don't have instead of what I do have. I think another thing that keeps us from being grateful is busyness. It's, it's the next thing. Why the lack of gratitude from these nine guys? What did they have in front of them that was so important that they couldn't come back and give thanks to Jesus? Because it's not like they weren't grateful. I don't think it's that they weren't grateful. I think they were really grateful. I think they were absolutely thrilled with what happened in their life. They just got busy with life and forgot to give thanks to the source of their life. They got busy with life again, their own lives, and forgot to thank the one that gave them life. Think of what this meant for them, though. Think of what healing meant for a leper. It meant re-entry into society. It meant hugging family members that you have not been able to hug for a long time. It meant that you could go home again and have a roof over your head. It meant you could sit in your favorite restaurant again. You could go to that coffee shop and talk to friends. You got to go to birthday parties again. Got to comb your hair. <laughs> Woo! All of this, right? All of these things that they got to do, they just got busy with. Uh, they were probably grateful. They were probably thrilled. They just got busy with life and forgot the source of their life, just like we do, right? We get busy with our lives and forget to continually give thanks to the source of our life. We get busy with the things that we have to do. And, and honestly, gratitude costs something. It costs us. It's not easy to do. And so we just get busy. But what did the nine miss? They missed wholeness, didn't they? They missed that wholeness. What do we miss? What do we miss when we're not grateful? I think lastly, 
Pain is something that keeps us from being grateful. Pain is something that hinders our gratitude. Some people think that gratitude is just this naive form of positive thinking, that gratitude somehow ignores pain or suffering or negativity. This idea of what do I have to be grateful for? My life's hard. My life stinks. My life doesn't look like it should look. I've got all this pain in my life and so I'm not gonna just pretend it doesn't exist and be grateful, but that's not what we're saying. And honestly, I don't know the extent of your pain and I know some of you have really suffered some very deep things. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. And maybe you've prayed for the healing and the healing has not come. And it's painful. But I would suggest that in those moments it's possible to be grateful to God. And not only is it possible, I think it's vital. I think it's absolutely important for us to offer thanks to God for what he's done in our lives, even in the middle of messy, messy lives. Because when we begin to offer gratitude, it lifts our head. It allows us to look up from what we're in and to see God to see the things that he has done for us, to see the things that he's doing for us, and to understand that the deepest need we could ever have as a human being has been met in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The deepest need that we could ever have has been met in Jesus, and so we always have room to be grateful for the grace that we've received, for the wholeness that has been offered to us. And so we can lean in We can be more grateful. Gratitude isn't just a nice feeling. Gratitude has responsibilities. So how can we grow in this? Let me give you just a couple of things real quick. First is this. I don't have a very good name for this. You might have a better name. Been trying to institute this in my family, this idea of a thankful board, pausing at dinner time and writing down, what are you thankful for? So I went out and I bought just a, a... a dry erase board, little stand-up thing. Today I'm thankful for, and it's just focus. It's not ignoring negative things in the day. Uh, my oldest daughter usually revolves around food. Uh, Taco Bell or whatever can make the list. Uh, sunshine was mine and peanut butter cups because that's just important. But, you know, I knew winter was coming. And, and then my younger daughter, uh, she's usually the one that says something that kind of refocuses everybody, and, and we all end up going, oh, yeah, that. That's what I'm really thankful for aside from my shallow one. And then my wife was sick, so she loved Breathe Right strips and a little bit of eucalyptus. Now, I did doctor this up thinking that maybe Fowler would be here today. Uh, But he's not here, so that doesn't even matter. But anyway, a a way that you can daily be reminded of the things that you're thankful for, however that works for you, but again, a good practice. God, thanks for these things. A great way to refocus. Second, I would say stop the comparison game. Gratitude suffers in our lives because we always see the abundance in someone else and the lack in our own lives. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. It's true. When you look at other people, so we just have to figure that out. We have to stop being like, oh, I'd be thankful if I could live like them. That's not the case. And you don't know what they're going through either. So we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Third thing I would say is this idea of gratitude and generosity. And I would just say it this way. Those things go hand in hand and one kickstarts the other. So if you wanna start in a place of gratitude and be like, yeah, I'm really thankful, then that should spill into generosity. Thank you so much for what I have. How can I serve and love and encourage and give stuff away? But you can also start in the place of generosity 
If you feel like, well, I don't have gratitude, but you can serve and love and encourage. And the more you do that, the more you notice what you have, the more you notice what other people are doing in this world and the more grateful you are. So you can start in either one of those places and they go hand in hand, they kickstart each other and it's something great. How can I serve and not be served? And that's gonna push you towards. And then the last thing I would say is this, letters of gratitude. I would encourage you this coming week to write three thank you letters. However long you want to do it. The, I, write one to God too. And the beauty of that one is that you don't have to get a stamp or an address or anything. You can just write it and he'll, he'll see it. God, thanks for. But also write it to some people in your lives. If you're a student in this room, I want to give you a little bit of insight. I want you to think about your parents. Students, your parents do not clean the house, cook your meals, do yard work, go to work because it makes them fully alive. No. I'm like, well, you like to vacuum, Mom. No. They do those things because they love you. So write one to your parents because they'll never forget and they'll cry. It'll be a beautiful moment. <laughs> I read this past week from a pastor. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. And we don't want to do that. We want to be a people who are thankful. Thankful to God for the wholeness that is offered to us, but also thankful for people that God has placed in our lives. We have a very tangible way to do that this morning. As Laura and the team come out, we're gonna partake in communion. And we have the opportunity, again, to be grateful to God for the sacrifice that he made for us, for the wholeness that has been offered to us, for the life that we get to live. And before we do that, before we launch in, I just, in closing, this is our closing prayer for the message time, but not for the service. I've been meditating on this, read this a couple weeks ago. Uh, This guy is a poet from the 1600s, and he said, thou that hast given so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart, not thankful when it pleaseth me, as if thy blessings had spared days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.